You know what it means when a preacher takes off his watch and lays it on the pulpit? Nothing. <laughs> Depends on who's preaching, I suppose. Hey, I have the joy, joy, joy down in my heart, and I am loving this series that uh, we are journeying on together, this, this time when we're looking at, at Luke's readings and the Gospels from, from Luke and, and just thinking about joy, what it means to be a joyful person in Christ and a joyful church and to be a joyful neighbor. We'll talk about that next week. And then to think about uh, experiencing joy through obedience, even with people we do not know. So I have joy from being here in worship together with you. I will say that uh, two people in my life who have always helped fan the flame of joy just about every week of my ministry have been Bishop Lawson Bryan and his wife Cheryl. It is such a joy to be back in worship with you both. Thank you both for being here. Our reading does come from the Gospel of Luke. As you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of the Gospel lesson today. The Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what Jesus was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There's a book entitled Breaking the Power by author uh, Liberty Savard, and she tells the story of having kind of a troubled youth, teenage years, and then she became a Christian in her early young adult years, and, and God not only changed her life and her story, but began giving her gifts of the Spirit to, to serve out her life with Christ. And so one of those gifts was, was hosting a party, that of hospitality, so she decided that she would give her parents a 50th wedding anniversary party because not only would they celebrate, but also she would allow uh, others to hear her story and then uh, to see the change that God was doing in her life. So she only lived about an hour away from where the party was happening, and she, she got ready in plenty of time, but she still, she went into the bathroom in front of her vanity and was, it was one more little poof of hairspray. Only the problem was when she reached underneath the cabinet, she, she didn't grab hairspray. She grabbed the deep woods off bug spray. So she had to shower again. And now there was no time to do her hair. She hopped in her car, but it wasn't long before she realized that her car was overheating, so she had to pull off, let it cool down, put some water in it. She went a little ways further and then realized she needed to add transmission fluid. And, and by the time she arrived late to the party, she arrived with frizzy hair, oily hands, and a red face. 
So she decided I'll take a few moments to excuse myself to the restroom and freshen up. But what she found was in the heat of driving from point A to point B in the heat that this bag of whatever the product was that she needed to use to freshen up had exploded in her bag. So she didn't have a brush. She didn't have anything that she could use to freshen up. Everything was covered in this white gobbledygook stuff. Her only option was to go to the party just exactly as she was and to laugh it all away and to enjoy herself. Well, later that evening, after the party, she started having a conversation with God because she had started her day out in prayer and she had prayed herself up to this moment because it was such a big time in her life. God, I wanted people to hear my story and see the change in my life. And she said in that moment, she felt like the power of God was speaking speaking to her because she was willing to listen. And God said something like, most of your family and friends remember how angry you used to be and how angry you would have been had all of that happened to you today. But instead, they saw the living proof. They might not hear your story today, but they saw the living proof that my power can change a life. And you handled that situation with humor and with grace well done, my daughter. Joy is on the endangered species list these days because it's so easy to squelch it when life gets complicated, when our relationships have pressure points or when our past is nipping at our heels or when financial strains arise or, or when parenting challenges present themselves or just trying to be a teenager and a preteen in the 21st century. It's easy to overshoot our joy or to miss it or to squelch it out. But I'm here to tell you that no matter what has accompanied you here today and no matter what it is you're facing when you enter the mission field here in just a few moments, that for this moment, don't overshoot the joy of Christ that is right here present with us. So breathe. Breathe in and breathe out and know that, that you're a child of God and there's joy in finding Christ. I wonder if you remember from, from your Bible studies, maybe the Disciple series, that Luke's gospel is framed with joy. Now I'm going to need your help here for just a minute, all right? So Luke chapter 2 uh, opens by saying, Fear not, I bring you good news of great joy to all people. It shall be known, right? And then in chapter 15 of Luke, we get to that trilogy of, of lost things. You remember that? The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons. At the end of which, when there's a lostness and a foundness, there's great joy. Jesus is interested in finding things and interested in us finding Jesus. Well, then, at the tail end of Luke's gospel, chapter 24, at the ascension, we read that while Jesus was being carried up, the disciples worshipped Christ, and they returned to Jerusalem, a.k.a. their mission field, with great joy. That's right. I wonder if what Luke is, is trying to tell us is, as hum, individuals and humans, but also as, as the church, the body of Christ, that life is meant to be held together, beginning, middle, and at the end, with joy. I spoke earlier this morning with Skip Skipworth's children, with Bubba, 
and with Stacy, and I told them that with a joyful heart, as hard as it is to lose someone like Skip, that we would be gathering here today knowing that this worst thing is, is not the last thing, that, that Skip is experiencing the joy in Jesus Christ. The beginning and the middle and the end of his life was full of joy. So what does that have to do with Mary and Martha? Um, because we can spend some time thinking about this text in terms of like uh, a sibling rival, rivalry, two sisters, right? How many of you have siblings? You're in church. Have you ever fought with them? You better be honest, right? Yeah, right. Sibling, I mean, when my brother and I, when we had a quarrel, you know, we're boys, we're guys, we just worked it out, like through a foot race or a bike race or just, you know, wrestling it out or whatever the case might be. I had some friends. They had to sit in a room and, and talk to each other until they were back on good terms whenever they had a little sibling spat. That didn't work well for us. You know, we were done with that in like two seconds, right? But give me a foot race, a bike race. We can, we can work it out. I was thinking about this, this Hebrew uh, teacher. He was working with children, uh, teaching uh, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, and they were working on that, uh, that commandment, honor your father and your mother that their days might be long upon the land. We're talking about parenting, right? One little girl said, is there anything in the Ten Commandments that talks about being a brother or a sister? And one little boy said, yep, thou shalt not kill. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Kids will teach us if we'll listen. And they take really good selfies, right, Lucas? Yeah, family pictures. So at the middle of, of Luke's gospel, it's a travel narrative. Jesus is kind of itinerant at this point. From, in chapter 9, Jesus sets his face toward Jerusalem. We know something's coming. But for the next 10 chapters, he's traveling until he finally arrives at Jerusalem. And along that journey, for 10 chapters, Jesus periodically needed a place to stop and to rest. And so Mary and Martha, one of the first things we, we glean from this text is that Mary and Martha teach us what to do when Jesus visits. What do you do when Jesus comes to pay you a visit? In your home or on your social media feed or in your politics and in your conversations what do you do when Jesus comes to visit your calendar? Because let me tell you, Jesus is coming to visit you sooner or later. In this story, what, what we sometimes miss is that Jesus didn't travel alone. It didn't work that way. He always had an entourage, at least 12, probably more than 12. A few verses prior to these verses, we read that there were at least 5,000 people who took time off from work and checked the kiddos out of school to come listen to Jesus teach. And he fed them. You remember that story? So Jesus stops to take a break at Mary and Martha's house. And it's easy to miss the scope that it wasn't just Jesus or a handful. It could have been a lot of people. Is it any wonder why Martha was upset, setting up and cooking and exerting all of this energy to prepare in the most hospitable way while Mary, she exerted the energy of listening? I don't know about you, but... When I find myself in situations where I feel like I'm doing a lot more work than everybody else is doing, I kind of get loud, you know? Like if I'm Martha, and I am Martha, I'm probably at this point slamming a few cookbooks down saying, okay, or I've got some pots that are going to be rattling together. Okay, can you hear me? And slinging open, open doors. There is a crescendo that's happening in this text. It's, it's only five verses. Something's about to happen. And Jesus, for the record, he knows this family quite well. 
They called for Jesus when their brother Lazarus had died. Jesus raised him from the dead. If you look in John's gospel and you start piecing this story together uh, in, the, in the whole gospels, if you look in John's gospel, uh, this account, or maybe one very similar to it, is when Mary, sitting and listening Mary, actually takes a very expensive substance and washes Jesus' feet. And then she dries them with her hair. Jesus knows this family. Jesus knows how to meet the needs of this family who are very close to him. But today, the emphasis is different. I think it's a bit unfair uh, to pick a better side for what to do when, when Jesus visits. Because I like to think that we need both. That a model for discipleship and a model for, for churches is to spend equal amount of time sitting and listening at the feet of Jesus and then arising and going to serve as the hands and feet of Jesus out in the world. We need to balance both, right? So to experience joy and then to help others experience joy, you and I need to spend as much time studying Scripture as we do serving and serving as we do studying Scripture. So that's part of, of where we're going today. That saying yes to Jesus means that you will love Jesus with, with your mind and with your heart and with your Sunday school class and with your small group like the men's groups do on Tuesday and our joint Bible study does on Wednesday mornings. And, and like many of you do when you come into the silence of this service before a single note or is played or word spoken and you pray for God's presence to fall afresh on us. We need to sit, to hear, to listen as an expression of our discipleship. But saying yes to Jesus also means that we need to be Martha and to be radically hospitable like so many of our greeters do each week or like so many of our volunteers who answer the phones or work with vulnerable adults or walk with families who grieve during funerals or, or build sheds to recovering communities along the panhandle or package meals for children or for Makoa or any other number of things. We need Mary's ministry and we need Martha's ministry. How are you doing both to keep your life in balance? But I want to finish with this because Martha says something in this text that absolutely stops me in my tracks. And I think it interrupted Jesus' kind of downtime and recuperation time as well. Martha says, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that, that I'm doing all of this by myself? that my sister has left me? Don't you care that everyone else is in, in the living room and I'm back here laboring? Jesus, don't you care? It takes deep faith, friends, to ask that question. Don't you care what's going on in my life? And so Jesus' response is so important for, for individuals, for families, and for loving one another here in the church because Jesus was interested at that point. So interested that I think he squared up to Martha, to worried Martha, and to distracted Martha, and to busy Martha to say, oh, I do care. I care that, that you've missed something. I care that you've missed the fact that with everything else going on, 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords has come to your house today. I care that you've missed that, Martha. So don't be anxious about anything. Don't miss the one thing that you need. And to me, for our purposes, I believe that one thing she missed was the presence of Christ. And I think the presence of Christ is always, always a matter of joy. This past week in staff meeting, I shared, as I do each week and plan to do each week, I shared with the staff where I felt like God was leading me to preach for this Sunday. And and I want their input. We'll start shaping ministry and sermons even together. We were thinking about joy. And it was our director of children's ministries, Glenda Argo, who gave me this wonderful, wonderful nugget that I'm going to keep right here and right here with me. She said in her life when she's thought about joy, that it's a matter of, of how we order our lives, how we prioritize our lives. And she said, and you can write this in your hymnal. I mean, in, you can write it in your hymnal, but your bulletin would be better. Um, she said that it's like an acrostic, that the J stands for putting Jesus first. The O stands for putting others first. The Y stands for putting yourself first. Jesus and others and joy and, and yourself will lead to great, great joy. You know as well as I do that there is so much trying to steal our joy and trying to distract us from being who God is, is calling us to be. And so when we become worried, Martha, or distracted, Martha, we might be working, but we're not serving, at least not with joy. And there's a difference Freedom through joyful obedience is a real thing when we say yes to Jesus Christ and yes to our church and we disallow anything to rob our joy. I shared with you last week that some of Bishop uh, Duffy's parting words to me were, Jay, don't ever let anything steal your joy. And don't allow the joy of the church to lose its way either. So yeah, this is about spiritual types and practical servants and contemplation and, and activism and, and Jesus stepping into all of that and us being like Mary and us being like, like Martha. But with Jesus, it's never really like dualistic in that way. They never are mutually exclusive because God's grace calls each of you. And God's grace sustains each of you. God's grace is found on the inside, and God's grace is found on the outside. God's grace is found in these pews, and God's grace is found on those streets too. God's grace is found in the lives of people who have it all together, and God's grace is found in, in the lives of those who's, who's thing, for whom things are falling apart. God's grace is found in chaos, and it's found in silence. And so often we hear Jesus talk about hearing and doing the Word or hearing the Father's will and doing the Father's will because time and time again, friends, Jesus is interested in squaring up and being fully present with the person right in front of him. So Jesus has this way of tuning everything else out long enough to truly see a person so this lesson's about hearing, and this lesson is about doing, but this lesson is also about seeing, seeing 
as God sees, seeing people as God sees people. And when we do that, there is great, great joy. What tends to happen is that we, we find these joy stealers or we squelch our joy, we put on blinders and miss the joy that is in front of us through things like worry and distraction. I'm here to tell you that I get worried and distracted about things in the past, and I get worried and distracted about things in the future. And when I do that, I miss that Jesus Christ is right here with me. I miss that I'm in the presence of the greatest source of joy. And so my busyness, like yours, can become a blinder that prevents us from seeing God and seeing other people as God sees them. And that prevents us from seeing joy. Fear is a blinder that can prevent us from seeing others as God sees them and therefore from finding joy. Anger and jealousy and worry are blinders that can prevent us from seeing others as God sees them and, and prevent us from experiencing joy. They're all joy stealers. And we miss Jesus right here next to us in the silence of worship, in the liturgy of worship, in the presence of the one next to you, in the halls of this great church throughout every single week, in the voices of this marvelous choir. So please do not be so distracted by worry and fear or what someone else is doing or not doing that you miss that Jesus is in the house whether in worship on Sundays or while we're being the church between Sundays, resist the temptation to become weary, worried and distracted to the point that you don't see Jesus. And so as we move forward in this journey together, friends, let's make a covenant together. How about that? I give you permission, and I need your help keeping Jesus first, others second, and myself third. I need your help removing all the blinders that I wear so that I may see all God's children and how they are a blessing to this world. And I need your help to see that, that Jesus is in this house, actively at work in the ministries of sitting and listening and going and doing. And if we can do that together, there will be what? Joy. I believe that. I believe it with all my heart. And I could not be more proud to be your pastor as we take this journey together. Let us pray. Lord, give us eyes to see your work in our church. Give us eyes to see your work in the people seated next to us, our church family. Give us ears, Lord, to hear those who are seated around us and, and those who make their way to the halls of this great place of sanctuary each and every week. Be present, almighty God, as we go our separate ways. Be thou our vision, O Lord of our hearts. Amen.